Welcome to the Partners Financial Podcast, a podcast designed for you with insights from fellow members as well as NFP and Partners Financial experts. Thank you for joining us in this latest installment of our um, expert series podcast. Today, I am excited to bring you the topic of cyber liability, threats, and the ways that you can ensure yourself and protect your business from the bad actors who are out there. So I'm excited to be joined by Mark Grosner, who's the CTO at NFP. We also have Shelly Foreman, who is the Director of Accounting and Finance at WealthPoint, a Partners Financial member firm out in Phoenix, Arizona. And we have Elisa Doroff, who is Managing Director, Cyber Technical Leader at NFP. And there she's gonna to talk to us about the insurance. We're gonna start with you, Mark. Thanks for joining me today. Um, can you just sort of lead off with talking about cyber liability and you know the threats? We just did my latest Ninjio episode, so I feel like I'm a little up to speed on things. But if you want to, you know, talk about some of the things that you're seeing that our member firms should be focusing on. You bet. So you know, cyber liability and and cybersecurity obviously are things that uh, many of you have heard me talk about in the past, and I'm very passionate about it. Uh, you know, and so I was doing my research and just thinking about, you know, hey, what am I going to update on this this time as far as uh, what's new or what's different? And the first thing that jumped out is that the cost of cyber uh, crime these days has, has bumped up to $6 trillion a year. So I was trying to think, I can't even wrap my head around what is $6 trillion, right? Well, it's, it's five times the worldwide revenue of pharmaceuticals and pharmaceutical companies uh, today. So it's five times pharmaceutical industry in one year for one type of crime, which which obviously cybercrime encompasses a lot of crimes, but for cybercrime. And so they used to always say that, you know, hey, knowing's half the battle, but that's not the case any longer. From a cybersecurity perspective, cyber liability perspective, knowing is just is knowing. It doesn't in any way give you any protections whatsoever. So it's how fast do you use the information that you know and what steps are you taking in, to put in place to protect you and your family, your clients and your businesses? Uh, you know, just yesterday, Microsoft announced that they had another vulnerability that was identified within their exchange platform. And then today, the head of uh, global uh, Homeland Security came out and said, hey, you guys should have your systems patched by tomorrow. So Microsoft announced it yesterday and now they want us to have it patched tomorrow. So the days of, okay, we have to go get the patch, test the patch, figure out when we can deploy the patch, schedule the deployment, and then deploy the patch. Those days are gone because those vulnerabilities now, everybody in the world knows what it is. Everybody in the world that uh, wants to use it for nefarious intent is starting to attack your systems if you have those uh, vulnerable systems to try to get to your data. And obviously this all increased significantly last year. We had the COVID-19 pandemic kick in. People started to work from home. There was, uh, everybody was in a different frame of mind. They had to improvise to get their job done. People are starting to use personal email accounts. They have to use personal computers. They're working random hours based on other things they've got going on in their lives. They couldn't verify things in person. They're following kind of informal processes. All of those things started to throw the new vulnerabilities uh, into the mix. And all of a sudden this remote workforce greatly expanded the cyber attack surface because now it's not just your work network, but now their home networks and everything that they're doing at home and their kids are on the same computer and everybody's doing it, all of a sudden significantly increased what that risk factor looked like. That, that's really interesting. I, I had heard that you know there were a lot more cyber attacks and crimes during the pandemic and the work from home, but I never quite connected why it is that, that it is. It's just really a crime of opportunity, right? Our, we're sharing iPads with our kids who are, 
applying all sorts of who knows what. Um, so in the light of that, you know, there's so much faster that, that we need to be responding to vulnerabilities and there's so much more opportunity. Can you talk a little bit about what NFP is doing to provide protections to employees and, and member firms? You bet. So, you know, since, <clears throat> since the pandemic started, NFP saw a significant increase in what we were seeing as it related to, uh, you know, the attacks that we were getting. Now, just as an example, in the month of March, NFP blocked about 15 million uh, email messages from getting to our 7,000 mailboxes. And those were all considered spam and malicious. Uh, from March to just April of last year, in the month of April, we went to 48 million. So a 3X increase in one month. Uh, and so we knew that was because the bad guys were trying to see if they could find ways to attack people who were working from home, again, that weren't protected from when they were in the office. So uh, in addition to making sure that we had multi-factor authentication put in front of everything that we do so that there was an additional requirement uh, in order to access our data and our systems, we also started to lock down a lot of things like what types of machines people could use at home and log into our networks with. So removing old operating systems, Windows 7, taking those types of things out of the network so we didn't have to worry about those, making sure they have antivirus on their machines that are up to date and taking regular updates, making sure that they understood that all of our formal processes still had to be followed. Uh, we ran, ratcheted up our communications as it relates to cybersecurity and things to be aware of. So basically just making sure we kept it at the front of everybody's mind uh, from a training perspective and then put in place some barriers on our side from a technical perspective that would allow us to protect uh, or make it more difficult in many places for the bad guys to, to get in and get access to the data and their information. That, that's really helpful. And that is a staggering increase in malicious emails in one month. It's crazy. Um, so I, I'm going to put you on the spot. I didn't prep you for this, but I feel like it's going to be okay. What are say, maybe the top three to five things that you think member firms should be doing or wish that they were doing that to protect themselves and their clients and their families? So, uh, you know, I think that, that uh, if you look at statistics, they'll tell you that, you know, 56% of businesses don't know what to do in the event of a data breach. So if they have some sort of an attack, they don't know what to do. So that's well over half that don't understand what to do. So I think number one, the most important thing is that having a business continuity or disaster recovery plan in place is a huge plus. Um, you know, I've seen statistics up to, um, you know, that companies that have a, a business continuity plan in place can recover from an attack in 24 hours versus what can take up to 19 or 20 days. So 19 to 20 times longer for businesses that don't. So it's very important that, the, that those things are in place because it makes a significant difference in how fast you can get back. Uh, I think the second thing is, um, you know, from an MFA and uh, perspective, making sure you have multi-factor authentication in front of your email accounts so that when your employees are logging in from wherever they are, they've got to have that additional factor, you know, losing a cell phone or something that they can click and, you know, have to keep the six digit code in from, um, but to make sure that they're validating that they are who they say they are. Uh, cyber insurance, which I know uh, Alyssa is gonna talk a lot more about later, but uh, you know, it's not only a financial benefit from a standpoint of it helps cover the cost of some of the things that can happen and be a part of a cyber attack, but they're a fantastic resource, your insurance carriers are a fantastic resource of who to go to and what to do and how do I move forward after an attack. So the fact that they can bring all that expertise to the table is a significant value as well. Um, and then training, you know, 95% of cybersecurity breaches are caused by human error. So if we can train around that 95%, 
and Kristen, you mentioned the, the uh, Ningio videos. So all of our partners firms have access to the Ningio videos, you know, making sure you're keeping your employees trained on what are the current threats? What are the things that are going on in the industry today? Is that much more ammunition you have to kind of keep the bad guys at bay? That's a wonderful list. Thank you. I really appreciate your time and expertise for us today, Mark. And I'm going to transition now to Shelley. You have personal experience with having had a cyber breach and you know the impact that it had on your business. Can you just sort of talk us through a little bit about your experience, what you think triggered it, also you know what steps you took afterward to sort of protect yourselves from doing this again? Sure. Um, I guess in a quick recap, um, three years ago, our WealthPoint email was hacked. Um, it occurred most likely when one of our employees was at a conference and logged into the conference or hotel Wi-Fi and with his credentials. Uh, from there, the hackers were able to log in um, and send out a fake DocuSign email to virtually everyone in his contact list. Um, after an frantic afternoon of shutting down emails and changing passwords and working with our IT group, uh, we concluded that to that hackers had been in two of our, our email accounts. And once you sort of reached this conclusion, what, what steps did you take next? Did you have one of the business continuity plans in place or do you, you know, what, what were your next steps? Yeah, so um, a couple of things we changed for our future um, immediately right then and there was we added the multi-factor authentication. Um, that it's pretty common now, three years ago. Um, I'm not sure how it was coming about, but um, that likely would have prevented the entire attack. Um, at the same time, we realized that the IT partner that we had in place wasn't really the right one for us. The one that was gonna be looking out for us, treating their business as if it were, our, our business as if it were their own and really helping us stay ahead and, and get out in front of some of these security um, threats. Um, so we found a new partner. Um, you know, someone described it to me one time as the hackers are always out there um, like a hockey game. So they're taking shots at you all the time and it only takes one thing to get through um, that, um, can we do that again? <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, no, absolutely. Ready? Um, where should I start from? Do you want to start from the hockey game part? Okay. Um, sure. Sorry. Um, someone once described it to me as a hockey game, the IT security um, threats and risks that are out there is that they're, your opponent is always out there taking shots at your goal, and it only takes one of them to get through. Um, that's why we place a great emphasis on having this partner with us to continuously evolve with us and review our security plans, our um, business continuity plans, our infrastructure, and our employee education as well. We implemented um, some employee education and awareness with emails and reminders, like Mark said, keeping everybody up to date, keeping it front of mind. Um, We've also, we're also big fans of the Ninjio videos that NFP provides, um, making sure that our employees take advantage of those. They cover really relevant topics. Um, and it's a short five minute video with a small quiz to make sure everybody understands it. Um, 
we also implemented it with our IT group. We send out fake phishing emails to our employees so that we can identify people that um, may need some additional training and also still create that awareness for them. And um, one of the other things that we did was implement uh, Proofpoint software to quarantine some of those risky emails um, that the system will flag as dangerous for us. That sounds great. I see Mark is nodding. He seems to approve of all of your <laughs> changes. Um, and you guys did have cyber liability insurance in place at the time you had this breach, right? Can you talk a little bit about your experience and, and how that went? Yeah, so when something like this happens, there's a lot of unknowns with your business and um, it's emotional and and scary. Um, one of the first concerns is trying to figure out what to do, um, do the right thing for your clients, your employees, everyone affected. Um, the next thing is obviously financial costs. Um, when this happens, initially you don't know what your exposure is. You don't know what it's gonna take to fix this and resolve this and, and uh, take all of the regulatory and compliance measures that you have to do. Um, so I'm really happy to talk about the benefits of cyber, cyber insurance today. Um, the financial stuff, it alleviated that from the outset for us. Um, you know, we knew at least a little bit about what our exposure would be. Um, I think I checked, um, we spent approximately $30,000, I think on attorneys and forensic investigators during this process. Um, and as we all know, the stories could have been a lot worse um, with the amount of money that it would require to resolve this. Um, the next benefit of that insurance is just the cost of our time and resources. Um, as soon as we reported the claim, and I think Mark talked a little bit about this, that our carrier jumped right in with specialized, highly skilled attorneys and the forensic investigators that we needed. Um, the attorneys really led us through the entire process from beginning to end. And as a small business, that's really hard to manage um, and to, it can be very daunting and hard to learn where to start and who, who needs to know what and um, who needs to get notified. And there's just a lot, a lot in that process that they helped really lead you through it. So as the person who worked on this in our firm, um, it was priceless to me to be able to have those resources at um, in guiding us through the, the entire process. That's that's wonderful. I'm, I'm glad that you had, you know, something that could have been so very damaging to your business be, you know, not quite as damaging. And, you know, I, I think that you've done Elise's job for her pretty nicely. <laughs> No, really set her up for, you know, the benefits of cyber liability insurance. Thank you for sharing your experiences and, you know, what you guys learned and the things that you put in place now that, you know, will protect you going forward. I appreciate your time. Sure. Thanks. All right, Elisa, if you want to bring us home and talk about cyber liability insurance, you could just say everything Shelly said and <laughs> here's how you reach us at NFP, whatever you want. That would be awesome. No, thanks. Um, thanks to Mark and thanks to Shelly because you did a perfect setup for me. You know, one thing that Mark said was the astronomical cost of cybercrime. It, you know, it's it's really crazy. I think we all know and we've all seen the headlines as far as the ransomware demands and just how crazy they're getting. And the most recent conversation I had with a, a very big cybersecurity firm was the average ask now from 
cyber criminals is 20% of a company's overall revenue. So it really, you kind of look at different types of companies and in different industries and how, you know, how much they can sustain a loss and really how financially they can recover. And 20% to some companies might be, okay, it's going to hit us, but we can recover. And some companies that's catastrophic. And so the nice thing about the cyber liability insurance is it does come in, as Shelley said, to provide you with those resources right from the get-go as far as here's expert counsel, let's get forensics involved, let's figure out how to minimize the situation as quickly as possible, let's determine, A, do we need to pay the ransom? If we do need to pay it, let's get the appropriate people involved. You know, the cyber liability carriers all have access to vendors that have Bitcoin wallets to facilitate the payment, make the transaction, and really ensure that the whole process goes very smoothly. So it's really interesting having been in the space for almost 20 years, seeing what the policies used to look like. And, you know, cyber extortion and ransomware was a throw on coverage. Now it's one of the number one reasons that companies are buying it. And, you know, here at NFP, we understand that because of all of these incidents that have happened, the cost of the insurance has clearly gone up. The underwriting process is more challenging. So it's something that we really work hard to help our clients understand which coverages are most important to you? What regulations are you going to be most impacted by? How does that policy respond? Are the definitions for your network going to extend to your outsource providers so that you really have the coverage that you need when and if you have an incident? And it doesn't just you know, stop once we place the insurance or you know, what our job is. We really work through the entire process and making sure there's a lot of carriers in the cyber insurance space. Every day, there's a new MGA that's coming out that wants to write cyber and this new capacity. And it's a good thing because we really need it. You know, on the other hand, we really need to vet these carriers. Is the form appropriate? Do they have a claims team? And really much to what um, Mark was talking about, preparing employees and companies on the front end. You know, it's not just a policy anymore. There's a lot of proactive resources in terms of social engineering and phishing campaigns, educational trainings. Um, you know, there's even tabletop exercises where we can test the business continuity plans that Shelly and Mark talked about, which is so important and even so much more so given this past year and everybody's physical roles um, not being in the office and, and really making sure that everybody knows how to respond. So, you know, it's it's really nice to see that cyber liability policies, much as, you know, the landscape has changed, have really evolved to meet those needs. But again, really important to understand and make sure that your policy does address your specific risks and exposures. That's really helpful, thanks. And this may be a question for a combination of you and Mark, but as I was thinking about Mark's sort of top four things that you know firms should be thinking about, the training I heard you say that they can get from the cyber insurance carrier, certainly the cyber insurance, but that business continuity plan, that sort of when you have, if you have a breach or whatever, how do you respond? Is that something that they work with you, Lisa, and the cyber liability carrier, or you know, Mark through NFP, or a combination of both. Yeah, no, that that's a really good question. So it it very much depends. Um, I'd say certain there are plenty of companies that come to us, um, you know, me and my team, and say, look, we really want cyber insurance, and and it gets to you know a couple of things that were discussed earlier in terms of you know multi-factor authentication. It was something that you know, five years ago, not everybody had. And now really, really small companies. I mean, quite frankly, you can't get insurance. You can't get cyber liability insurance without having it. And it really doesn't cost all that much money to implement it. But it is something that, you know, I know vendors and, and that's where my role comes into your question is it's not just the placement of insurance. Sometimes it's really helping companies understand where they need help in order to qualify for insurance 
And a lot of them too really don't know, what do my peers have? What do I need to be at a certain level of compliance? They may not need to meet regulatory requirements, but at the same point, they want their, you know, their IT or their, their network to be secure and they may not know. So a lot of times it's bringing in a cybersecurity firm and it might be, you know, exactly to your point, bringing in a law firm that's going to help them a either write a business continuity plan from scratch or just review what they currently have to make sure that it really does meet their needs if there is an incident. Mm-hmm. And just to add on to what Alyssa said, I think, you know, that a lot of these, the law firms, they'll come in with the disaster recovery plans, business continuity, but they also identify things like, you know, hey, you guys don't have any offsite backups. And with the extent of malware and the uh, the crypto locking viruses that are out there that are actually causing these huge losses. And, um, you know, I heard Alyssa also state, you know, it's 20% of revenues. I mean, we've seen the numbers rise you know, seven, 800 percent over the last two years as far as what they're charging now. They used to be the single thousands of dollars. It was, you know, kind of just uh, punitive damage more for not having something than it is now. Now they are into the hundreds of thousands, 200, 300, 400 thousand dollars for small businesses to unlock their data. And so the uh, legal firms will look at you and say, hey, you know what, if you don't want to have to pay that, you need to have good offsite backups. So making sure that you have that, you should have a really good IT vendor. Uh, Shelly mentioned this and having a great IT vendor that's going to be there for you, that they're on top of things and making the right recommendations. So it's not just the policy, it's the practices. And so I think they're both spot on. And those are extremely important things to make sure you have in place, even as a small business. And, uh, you know, as Alyssa said, those technologies aren't expensive anymore. Offline cloud storage backups, which you can do on a nightly basis behind the scenes. They don't impact your users. Your assistant's not running home with a thumb drive attached to her keychain with all the data that's on there. Your tech guy's got it on his keychain. You know, it's much, uh, it's much more modern these days and they're very reasonably priced. Okay, that's great, thank you. So we can reach out to you, Alyssa, and your team and you can connect our firms with resources that they can utilize if, if they feel like they don't have the right ones. Can they also do sort of a review of their existing policies or you know, practices and procedures and make sure they're up to snuff? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, me and my team, we're happy to take a look at, um, you know, whether we place the coverage or not kind of every year. It's, you know, it's an ongoing process because every year the carrier's forms change. Every year there's a new endorsement. You know, every year that endorsement might not be relevant for your business, but the regulations are certainly changing. Um, you know, like I said, the coverages are changing. So it's really, you know, making sure that depending on the nature of the information that the company collects or what regulatory requirements they have to adhere to, that the policy really does address that. I mean, there's there's been so many um, changes in the legal landscape as far as privacy, but, you know, one statute I'll just bring up really quickly was, you know, the collection of biometric information. And that changed the landscape for a lot of companies that collected biometric information because many cyber carriers had an affirmative exclusion. So, you know, that's just an example of where it's really important to read through the policies carefully and make sure that, you know, this is, you know, I'm a company that has my employees clock in every day checking their fingerprints or with their fingerprints. And then my policy excludes this. We have a big breach. We have, you know, our coverage is, is really useless. So it's kind of things like that, that really just seeing what's changing. How does that impact the policy? How does that impact the company? And how do we constantly, um, you know, review that on an ongoing basis? Mm-hmm. And I don't yeah. want to let that expertise go. I think that's so significant. I've talked to so many of my, you know, counterparts in the industry that they're like, oh, I bought cyber insurance, but I didn't realize all the things it didn't cover um, because their broker didn't go through all that with them. And you, like you just said, that's one of the most important things is really understanding what that coverage covers. So in the event of a loss, you know what you've got. So I think having somebody with your expertise and your team's expertise is extremely Thank important. you. I really, I hate hearing that. <laughs> I really hate hearing when people say cyber insurance doesn't pay. 
I said, right. well, no, it, it really should. <laughs> but right. yeah, mm-hmm. that's unfortunate. Well, I think that's a, a great place to leave the discussion today. I think that, you know, we gave our listeners some ideas of things that they should be thinking about and, you know, how they can be reaching out and really being proactive about their firms and their businesses and the security that they're providing to their data and their clients. So thank you everybody for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me.